Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. This is the last sermon in our series on Genesis, and uh, it's been an incredible series. Have you been encouraged uh, by Genesis? I'm sorry, let me check over here. Have y'all been encouraged? (laughs) Uh, It's been a great series. And in this last story, it actually covers 13 chapters. It's the longest episode by far in uh, Genesis, capturing over 25% of the entire book. And it may be for you, just a little bit of warning, one of the most difficult to receive. Yeah. Why? Because one thing that it taps into and something that we all experience is that you will encounter being offended in this life. You will encounter conflict. People will hurt you. And this story really reflects on the fact that oftentimes these broken relationships, broken promises, painful circumstances cause us to have two different choices about how we're going to deal with them. Your response to being hurt will determine your destiny. Your response to being hurt will determine your destiny. And more specifically, brace yourself, your forgiveness or unforgiveness will form your future. Yeah, yeah, it's tight. I, I, I already expected this, so I understand. <laughs> but we're going to look at this last part about Joseph. As uh, Pastor James kind of introduced us to him last week, we know that Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob, uh, and Rachel. You know, uh, Jacob had multiple sons by multiple <laughs> wives and concubines. There was a lot of drama going on in the Jacob household. But uh, because he had favored Rachel, Jacob's, uh, Joseph's mom, he then favored Joseph. And this, as often is the case, if you see someone who has been you know, favorited or, or, or just preferred at home, and we talked a little bit about that, they, it can kind of result in being spoiled. Someone feeling a lot of sense of entitlement, a sense of just like, this is the way that the world works. Everyone's supposed to just bow down before me. And literally, Joseph (laughs) made this even more extreme by sharing dreams that his brothers would bow down to him. And then the second time around, because they hated that so much, he says, oh, and by the way, I had another dream. And this time, mom, dad, and all y'all will bow down to me. And finally, that was the last straw. So when Joseph was 17, we found ourselves in a scenario where the brothers uh, came up with a plan to fix this spoiled brat. And we see this in Genesis 37, verse 23. It says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe that his dad gave him because he was the favorite spoiled kid, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then it says they 
Then they sat down to eat. <laughs> like they just beat up their younger brother, stripped them naked, kicked them into a pit and was like, yo, y'all hungry? Yeah, let's get something to eat. And as he's probably sitting, this, I need y'all to picture this now. Picture being Joseph. He's screaming out, y'all help. Like, like, please, please, I'm sorry. Like, and they're sitting there just eating. And it says they looking and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and um, myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And the brothers listened to him. Now, within the earshot of Joseph, he's hearing them say, you know what? I mean, we could kill him, but then we wouldn't make no money off that. So let's just sell him into slavery and get rid of him. Beaten, stripped, sold. Things are really rough now all of a sudden for this favorite son. But then there's some, you know, kind of glimmer of hope. He, he, he ends up being uh, in this person's house named Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar uh, ends up, you know, just seeing the potential of Joseph, starts putting him in charge of things. He, he ends up having basically being the manager of the household and things are looking up. But then he is accused because Potiphar's wife wants Joseph. She's feeling him. And so when he doesn't return and reciprocate the favor, she accuses him falsely of raping her or trying to. So then he's put into prison. He's put into prison. And then while he's in prison, he's talking to two of his inmates. And they are troubled by some bad dreams they're having. He interprets the dreams. And the one was like, yo, man, I appreciate you for interpreting that dream. I got you because he works for Pharaoh. He was like, yo, when I get out, I'm going to put in a word. He ain't put in the word. Years later, until Pharaoh starts having bad dreams himself. Pharaoh has his dream. Nobody can interpret it. And then dude is like, oh, yeah, when I was locked up, when I was doing that bid upstate, I do remember this dude named Joseph who was like he could interpret dreams. So then they reach out to Joseph and he interprets the dream. And the dream is about an economic boom that they're about to have and then a bust that they're going to experience as a result of a drought. And so in the few pages that come, and I had to just set this up so that we can get into the mix, because this, this time period in the Bible, even though you go from 37 to like 42, uh, chap, you know, the, the verses, it's like that's just a few pages, but it covers literally decades. Let's do some math. So when they sold Joseph into slavery, he was 17. In Genesis 41:46, we learn that Joseph was 30 when he was made overseer of, by the king of Egypt. So when, when he interprets Pharaoh's dream, and he's like, yo, I need you to be the right-hand man to figure out how we're going to get through this drought and this famine, he was 30. So that meant 13 years have elapsed just in that time period between him being at Potiphar's house and then spending the majority of that time locked up. But then on top of that, remember, Joseph predicted seven years of abundance before seven years of famine. So by the time we get to the abundance, he's, or the famine, he's 37. 
right? 30 plus seven, he's, he's 37 when the famine hits. Now, then it tells us that the brothers don't start feeling the pinch and they don't start getting desperate enough to go to Egypt to find food for two years into the famine. So now he's 39, 40. So 20, almost 20 years, a long time has elapsed between them throwing him in the pit 13 years ago and now. So I need to ask you, just let's, uh, we just need to get real. What would you do? Now imagine this. So you now have made a come up. Your glow up has happened. People who hated on you, threw you in a pit, left you for dead, sold you into slavery, all these consequences that happened, they are now at your beck and call. They are now at your disposal. They now are like, yo, can you help us? And you're like, oh, now you want my help, huh? Huh? What would you do if your brothers did that and then literally their survival was dependent on you? Now, we realize that this is what happens in, by the time we get to Genesis 42.7. So let's read. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. It's interesting when people from your past can't recognize you because things have changed and God has elevated you to new things and you don't even look the same, you don't sound the same. And they're like, yo, what's going on? Who is this? But you can see them. And you've had this moment before in the streets, especially in New York, because there's so many different things. Like you see somebody on the subway, like on the platform, but they don't see you. And that was like an ex or something or somebody you had a fallen out with. And you can just kind of like easily just kind of like turn the other way and just kind of like, I don't see somebody or whatever. But this poses a very unique opportunity for Joseph. Because he can then also, he has some questions to ask. I mean, can you imagine like just over the last course of the last 13 plus years, 20 years, he's like, why did they do it? What was going on? Who knew? Did my dad know? What was like, like there's all these questions that he probably, as he was sitting in that prison in that dungeon, was asked. And now he can get access to the answers without them knowing because they don't recognize him. He's speaking through an interpreter, so he's pretending not to even understand their language. And so he's like, okay. And on top of this, this look, the last time he checked, they were some scoundrels who sold their brother. <laughs> into slavery for money. Is there really a family? Do they really need this food? Or are they trying to hustle it, try to flip it, sell it on the black market? He he doesn't know. But these are not trustworthy individuals from Joseph's perspective. And so he needs some answers. And after pondering for 20 years these major questions, he, he hatches a plan to find these things out. He says, okay, I got it. I'm going to test them to see what's going on and if anything has changed in the time since I last saw them when they beat me up and put me in a ditch and left me for dead. So he um, does a few of these tests that he's planning on doing. Uh, we see this over the last couple, the next couple chapters where he says he demands, because they say we have a younger brother and we're not spies. He accuses them of being spies. Now, do you know what the penalty is for being a spy in a foreign land? It's death. Like, he literally has their lives in his hands. And so he said, okay, well, bring back your younger brother to prove that you're not surprised. 
And so they go away. But then he puts money. He gives them money because they were there to buy grain. So what happens is they give them the grain, but then he gives them the money back and the grain. So he's going to see, all right, let me see what you're going to do now. Are you going to pocket it and just be like, hey, we got over? You know, like that moment when you get too much change back at the register and you're like, hmm, what do I do? So that's his plan. And they come back with Benjamin uh, after some wrangling. And the dad doesn't want to let Benjamin go because he's like, I've already lost one son. Because they told the dad, Jacob, that Joseph died. That's what When they sold him into slavery, they just took, ripped up his robe, dipped it in some blood. And was like, yo, a wild animal got him. It was crazy. And so dad thinks Joseph's dead. And so he doesn't want to let uh, Benjamin go. And they're like, yo, if he told us if we don't come back, one, we can't get food. Two, he held Simeon, one of the other brothers, as collateral. Like, this is a drama, dramatic situation. So they come back, and he still is continuing the ruse. He um, pretends like he doesn't know them. But then this key moment happens. Remember, they don't know who he is. And so they come over to each other, and they're like, see, this is all happening to us because of what we did to Joseph back in the day. Like, man, God is punishing us. We should have never did that before. And he hears them talking about what happened. And in verse 1, we see the reaction of chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone get out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. You think? (laughs) He loses it. His whole elaborate plan, this thing that he had developed and thought about and was going to extract, he just can't even take it anymore. He's triggered by the reminder of this trauma that he had experienced of seeing his brothers just completely, you know, leave him for dead and get rid of him. And now, like, he just is like, I just need to know. I need to get connected to my family. And, it's a, and it makes it very clear, like, the whole palace heard it. That means he ugly cried. Like, he was, ah, 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 ah. I mean, it was like they, everybody heard it. The word was just clear because he was in such, tr- tr- you ever cried like that before? Like, just ugly, like, just, it just, all the emotions came out. 20 years of trauma, just boom. And the brothers are in shock, so they can't say nothing. Because they never would have suspected that they were going to see him again, let alone now this is the person that we've been begging for for help so that we can survive. And here's the thing that this insight gives us. Though it may not be as dramatic as all this, this big reveal, the reality is no matter how smart and strategic you are like Joseph, you can't outrun your past. You can't outrun your past, and you can't outrun the emotional damage that those pasts and wounds have caused you. Even decades later, it's still lurking. But we also see from the brothers, you can't outrun when you do wrong. It will catch up to you. 
This is the same thing we found out with Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob, you know, uh, tricked Esau out of his birthright, and then Esau's coming, and he's like, uh-oh. Your issues will find you, but Joseph's response is instructive for us. And this is where I want us to put ourselves in the story, because the reality is, even though I don't know the particulars in your life, I don't know who it is that hurt you, I don't know who it is that you have a broken relationship with, I don't know who it is that whose sin caused consequences in your life that you is mad about the consequences as you are about the initial thing that happened. But this is where Joseph gives us insight. In verse 4, it says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Okay, there's a lot here to unpack. We just covered a lot of ground. So we want to spend a few moments just kind of breaking this down and helping us understand what's going on. The interpretation and apply section for all my Bible study folks is about to commence. First, Joseph says, come near to me, please. Now, some of us will be like, come near because you got some hands you want to lay on them as a result of everything that they've done in the past, right? Remember that ditch? Okay, you caught me off guard, but now I'm ready. But he says, come near to me. Because not to hurt them, but because he wants to fellowship a relationship to be back. He understood that forgiveness is necessary to draw us near to others. Forgiveness is necessary to draw us near to others. And here's the hard truth. Many of you have been hurt and decided, you know what? You got me once, but never again. And I'm going to put up a wall so that no one can ever hurt me like that again. I gave you trust. I I, I blindly trusted you. I was naive. Not no more. Nobody's going to hurt me again. But the problem with that wall is it does two things. It keeps pain out, but it also keeps people from getting in. And then there's no sense of relationship. There's no sense of intimacy. Yet Your relationships crumble because there's no trust. That is there because you're not going to get hurt again is your main tenant. And so you push people out. All of this depends on forgiveness. It absolutely Joseph couldn't even have got to the place of drawing saying, come near. Had he not already resolved to forgive them. But that's not the only part, though. He also says, he makes it clear what happened. You sold me. Remember, remember when y'all sold me into Egypt? Did y'all catch that? He tells them exactly what they did. You sold me into Egypt. And and this is where one aspect where I'm going to say something that's going to really push back against kind of conventional wisdom. 
Forgiving is not forgetting. You hear this statement, forgive and forget. And the idea behind that is oftentimes this aspect, well, I should pretend like the thing never happened. But that's not what happens here. He says, you sold me. Like, that did happen. That did have consequences. And, And further, here's another part. Because, see, sometimes the same people who hurt you are so manipulative that they'll use the concept of forgiveness to try to hang it, hold it over you to say that you now have to trust me. But that's two different things, too. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. There are still consequences for the offense, even if you decide to forgive the person. And sometimes those consequences may involve restitution. Because if I'm going to repair the relationship, there might need to be reparations. That's what reparations is. It's to repair something that was broken. That's for another sermon. We'll keep it moving. But the idea is that forgiveness does equal a hope for the potential of renewed trust. But it is not a mandate or a guarantee, and don't let someone try to manipulate you into saying, well, I stole your car. I said I'm sorry after I wrecked it. So, like, can I get the keys to your new one? I'm good. I'm good, right. That must be rebuilt. But on the flip side, some of y'all are like, if, if I close the door from any type of intimacy, which does require some level of trust, then I'm shutting myself off from every human being eventually. Because somebody's going to hurt you. So forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. And we can see this because, I mean, Joseph's emotions and the pain was, was very clear from what he experienced. But he also realized, I need to do this. It's bigger than me. But this is not to say that somebody can just have empty words like, oh, I said I'm sorry, can't we just move past this? Because it reveals the fact that the emotions are real, the pain is real, and we must confront it. But we also must confront the past or get stuck in it. Some of us just try to avoid it and just try to pretend, oh, yeah, we good, no harm, no foul. But you also just get stuck there. And here's the challenging, beautiful, complex dilemma. If you've been on the other side of that thing and you've messed up and someone has forgiven you, nothing feels as freeing as being forgiven. Nothing feels as freeing as being forgiven. Yet, nothing feels as difficult as forgiving others. Both sides of that is, are ultimately true at the same time. And we have to hold those two things together and realize what it has felt like to be put off the hook so that we know to push through. Now, here's the other part that's real. Forgiveness covers the act, the situation that the person did, and the consequences of the situation of what they did. The act and the consequences. Because sometimes the consequences linger And so it gets us mad again, or we still stay stuck and be like, man, but look, now look at my life because of what they did. I I shared a few weeks ago about the scenario where um, my wife and I, we had bought a house uh, in Orlando at the the height of the housing boom, 2005. And then Lord moved us to Indiana, bubble burst. (laughs) 
we had to like scramble and try to figure out what we we're going to do because the value of it cratered. And um, so we started renting it, and then the renters stopped paying rent. And so then we had to do a short sell. And um, we lost over $100,000 in the short sale. And I remember when I came after, like, uh, you know, we had, there was a bid on that. We had put the house on the market, and I went in just to kind of check on things after the tenant that stopped paying rent moved out. And I remember um, it, there was the laundry room, and I opened up the laundry room, and a washer and dryer was gone. And I was like, she ain't pay rent, and she stole my washer and dryer. Oh, man, I'm going to get her. I'm going to get I'm a, this is crazy. She stole the washer and dryer. You don't steal my washer and dryer. And the Lord was like, how much loan did you just get forgiven on this short sale? $100,000? And you're going to track this person down? For like $400, maybe? And you're not going to release that burden when you got released for six figures? Oh, yeah, he'll do that to you. And that's the realization of like, I was forgiven much. I can let that go. But that's still hard, even though I was forgiven much, right? And we can run the risk of letting unforgiveness steal our joy because the situation was we were ecstatic from the fact that we could move on from that situation. It was horrific. We didn't come into this whole thing to be investors and all that. And we just wanted to move on with our lives. But then when I, I ain't going to hold y'all, but I was mad when I opened up that laundry room door and the washing dryer was gone. And, and, this is the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the point is that unforgiveness can actually steal your joy from seeing what is good is happening in your life because you're stuck on what somebody else did to you. Unforgiveness enables what was done to us to define us. If I get stuck there, then that's the thing that I say is who I am. I am the consequence of this person's actions toward me. Sin pulls us apart, but forgiveness allows us to draw near to each other. And oftentimes, the consequences of the act done against us are far worse than the sin itself. You know, these ripple effects that people can see and can't see. Joseph's brothers didn't know he was going to be wrongly accused of a crime, almost executed, and then put in prison for like a decade. They didn't know that. They didn't see that coming. And the reality is, Joseph had to not just reconcile himself to what they initially did, but all the things, the ripple effects of what happened and the pain that he dealt with for years as a result of that. And we see, we have to deal with this, you know, each day. There was a, a woman named Samara Alinejad from Iran, and her teenage son was murdered. And she, you know, was grieved heavily, and they ended up finding her son's killer, and she told the Associated Press that retribution was my only thought. All I thought about was him getting, and of course this was Iran, so like their penalties are pretty strict, so he was facing the death penalty. That was what he was sentenced to, and their legal system is a bit different where kind of the, the 
the victims or the families have a say in the extent of the uh, sentence. And so she was all for it. And then, and they hang you like there, like noose around the neck, you know. And literally moments before he was going to be executed, she made a last minute decision to pardon the man who killed her son. And now is considered a hero. Because she realized, I'm not going to find comfort in the fact that this person is now dead. What would you do? And the key thing here is you forgive the offender in part for your benefit, not just for theirs. Ken Sandy, who started um, Peacemakers Ministry, said, unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping that someone else dies. It's the poison we drink. And here are aspects of the poison. Here are some of the side effects. Bitterness. Hatred, living in the past, is bitterness. Blindness, right? Because we have lack of awareness for all the things that we got issues with that somebody else got. We got blood on our own leisure, and we can't see that. Unforgiveness prevents us from. Brittleness. We become overly sensitive to everything because now I'm not trusting anybody at any point. And then brokenness. Our relationships are broken. We end up joyless. These are the results of unforgiveness. So we see this reconciliation happen. We see Joseph reveal himself to his brothers, tell them to go get uh, their father. And so what ends up happening is Joseph ends up getting Egypt to sponsor their relocation. They send wagons, they send caravans all the way to Canaan to make sure that uh, they get Joseph's brother that was remaining and, you know, the rest and his father and all their cattle and all that. It literally reunites him with his father, who he realizes had no idea he was still alive afterwards. And this is very moving reunion. I mean, you see the word wept in this story. Like when he sees Benjamin, his younger brother, then he weeps more. Because right when he left, Benjamin was like just a toddler. And now he's like a, a you know, teen, like grown man. And so they weep. And it's like this color purple scene. Remember when they like they reunited in color purple? <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's what Joseph and Benjamin is like right now. Like they, it's deep, y'all. It's deep. But then their, da- uh, and then their dad lives you know, in Egypt for a while, but he's old in age, and so he passes away. And this last piece of the story really shows you the depths and the levels of this thing. Because this is after the, you know, that he, Joseph had brought him back. Now look at this. We did, now we're at Genesis 50, last chapter. It says, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of your servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Y'all, this is 17 years after the reconciliation. And but because. They were like, yo, he's kind of doing this for the sake of our father. But once dad is gone, 
Oh, he's going he's gonna to give it to us. So they're still afraid. After all that's happened, they're living, they've lived now, you know, in there for 17 years. He's now 57. And there's still this sense of, and you see the emotion is still there deep. The fact that they bring it up again and still have this fear causes Joseph once again to weep. And this reveals the fact that time still, after all that time, when something has, someone has hurt you, it lingers for a while. It may linger and be a wound and that scabs over as a scar for years, even decades. But there's a key question that you have to ask yourself. Is time healing or infecting your heart? Is it healing or is it infecting? Is the, is the wound getting infected by bitterness? This is how you know. This is a couple, couple key com- components. This is a couple reasons on how we know that Joseph was healing. One, he, did, he never brought it up again. They did. If you're not bringing up, if you say you forgive somebody, but you keep bringing it up sometimes subtly or even in your own heart, then you ain't really forgiven. You, you still got work to do. And that includes talking to other people about the incident, too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that first one didn't get you, but the right did. <laughs> and not in like in a counselor type, and you know, I'm trying to be therapeutic, but in a way where you're like still mad and still kind of using it as a way to disparage their character. And here's the key question that allowed Joseph, again, look at what he said. He, I mean, it's, it's profound. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many should be kept alive. If he was consumed with revenge, he would have said, oh, thank you, Lord. Now you got, I got him right where I want him. And the focus would have just been on punishment. We have to ask ourselves, do I trust God's plan for redemption or my plan for revenge? Which one am I really trusting in? Because it can't be both. See, forgiveness trusts God's plan for redemption over our plans and desires for revenge. And what that does is allow God to move. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and deal with folks according to his wisdom, according to his purposes. And at the same time, allow, it allows me to forgive the offender of whatever was done to me. Forgiveness forms our future. And not just for individuals, but for nations. And we've seen this recently. I, I don't know if you know the story behind South Africa. But Nelson Mandela was arrested in 1964 for opposing a racist regime that had instilled apartheid throughout the country. And as a result of uh, protest and divestment of South Africa, he was finally set free February 11th, 1990. So if you do the math, he did a over 20-year bid, 25 years he's in prison. And the whole world waited to be like, you know, like, did he have James Brown, the big payback, coming on as he was blasting while walking out to prison? Like, I'm mad! You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's about to be on. Now, remember, whites in South Africa only make up 20% of the population. So the fall, the end of apartheid could have meant a reversal the likes of which we have not seen before. And there was that level of fear. I've been there twice. And when I hear when people who were around that time talked about it, the whole country was literally waiting with bated breath to see if it was going to explode. And 
when Mandela walked up to the podium, he says, you will achieve more in this world through acts of mercy than you will through acts of retribution. He led his whole nation into a, a spirit and a process of truth and reconciliation that acknowledged the past, but at the same time said, well, we have to move forward in it. And that healing literally kept the nation intact. If Joseph would have taken revenge, think about this for a second. That would have meant that the, all the other tribes of Israel would have gone and been snuffed out with his brothers. Judah, Levi, and the rest. And if he would have just said, you know what, I ain't going to kill you, but I ain't going to help you either. Nah, we ain't got no food for you. Bye. They would have starved and died out, but it wouldn't have been at his hands. And he couldn't have known that the book of Genesis ends with the genealogy. And I think part of the reason why it ends with the genealogies of all the brothers and their children is because you know what comes after Genesis? Exodus. And what happens in Exodus is there's a Pharaoh who arises who does not know Joseph, puts the people in bondage, eventually looks to murder all of the Hebrew boys. And there's this boy that, whose parents put him, their mama put him in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a basket down the river. And he becomes the deliverer of the people. Y'all know his name, Moses. You know, Moses is from the tribe of Levi. If he would have got his get back at Levi, Moses wouldn't have existed. And then later on, there becomes a king named David. David is from the line of Judah. If he would have snuffed out Judah, who was the one who said, let's just sell him into slavery, y'all, and he heard him say it, he would have not actually been able to see the king of Judah arise, who would then later become the ancestor of Jesus Christ, who is the one who now saves and rescues not just all of Joseph's lineage, but the entire world. And so this is why Jesus caused us to live this out so vividly, because that was all possible because of forgiveness. And so when we see that Colossians 3 tells us, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, listen, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here's the tough part, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. You notice that bearing with one another assumes that we're going to have issues, right? It's like, look, just bear with me. Just, just bear with them. I know that person. You got to bear with each other. That's part of the, the routine. So when folks come to church and you expect everybody to be perfect and holy and right, it's like, nope. Nope, we, we, you won't have to bear with us. There's going to be some offenses that happen. But then look at what it says. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, how did the Lord forgive us? Well, he tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we got right. He didn't wait. He actually volunteered to put himself in a position to sacrifice for, him, for us. God demonstrates his own love. We didn't deserve it. No, we, we don't, you can't deserve forgiveness. It's something that has to be offered to you. And we see that Joseph then becomes a picture, a foreshadowing of what was to come. Because you see, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers for 20 coins. Jesus was sold for 30 to be crucified. Joseph was wrongly accused and sentenced to prison. Jesus was wrongly accused and sentenced to death. 
Joseph was rescued. He rescued his family from physical death by providing them bread. Check this out. Jesus rescued the church from death by being the bread of life. Okay? Okay, wait, wait. Joseph tested his brothers before he forgave them. Jesus was tested on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Joseph's forgiveness allowed for Moses, the deliverer, to come. Jesus' forgiveness allowed for him to be our deliverer himself. That's what forgiveness is. It's costly. It does cost you something. It, it, but it's the heart of the gospel. It's the very heart of our relationship with God. And otherwise, if you don't forgive, it leads to a cycle of brokenness in our lives, in our families, that we can never get out of. But if we recognize who God is and, and, and what he's meant and done for us, then we realize that it's bigger than us. My um, grandma uh, bought her pride and joy um, was a house that she purchased back in 1955 at a time when women couldn't even own property and black people couldn't even live there. It was a segregated neighborhood, but she scraped and strategized and got this house. Well, my grandfather was addicted to gambling. And so there were multiple times where she gave him money to pay for the mortgage, and he didn't, and he used it. And so eventually they broke up. And, you know, obviously we're somewhat estranged. But then decades later, he, you know, matured, became a great-grandfather to me, and um, he was diagnosed with dementia in his late 70s, early 80s. And me not knowing all the backdrop, because, you know, family and secrets, I go up to my grandmom and I just ask her, he needs help. He can't stay at where he is. Can you, can he live with you? In the same house that she'd almost lost because he was gambling it away. And she struggled with that thing, but eventually she realized and saw that it was bigger, that she would not have just hurt him, but she would have hurt me. And so she took care of him till he passed in that same house. We see Joseph's pain and trauma, but we see the benefits of forgiveness as well. This is how I came to Christ, because somebody forgave me after I hurt them. And I couldn't understand it. It was otherworldly. It was supernatural. And I was like, tell me more. And I agree with my man, Shai Lin, who said, if you think meekness is weak, try being meek for a week. This is hard. It is hard to practice the process of releasing people because we can feel a sense of power, but what you experience instead is freedom, reconciliation, peace, love, and humility. So I'm gonna leave you with three things to do that might be helpful as you listen to this and you recognize that um, I got some work to do in this process. This is a list uh, of things that could be helpful. First, list the act of sin done against you. Just make a list, write it out. Then list the ripple effects of that, of the consequences of that action. And then for your own sake, destroy the list. You might decide to take a, you know, match and burn it. Rip it up, just careful, we don't want nobody's house to burn it. But when you realize these things, and when you understand that forgiveness allows us to be free, to release that poison, 
that we have in us, then we recognize what Christ came to do and what Christ came for. That Christ offers that sense of forgiveness in himself and he, he releases us from judgment. And you know whose judgment? <laughs> Not just God's judgment, but the judgment of others and our judgment of others. All that is released through Christ. Could you stand with me? There's a, this is kind of can be heavy for some, but it's also freeing and, and it can be really lifting to recognize I don't have to hold on to things anymore. That I can trust God's plan of redemption more than my plan for revenge. So I'd just like for you to extend your hands, right? Just to almost imagine whatever might be that thing that you're struggling with either releasing or maybe it's the fact that somebody is holding it against you or that you're holding it against yourself. Because sometimes it's hard to forgive ourselves. But the same blood that Christ shed to make us right with God is the same blood that causes us to be able to release our burdens, even the ones that we feel guilty about. Because we're told in Romans that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, we come to your presence right now knowing that in this life we hurt because hurt people hurt people. And yet, God, you, through Joseph, show us that even though the pain is real, so is the promise, the promise of redemption, the promise of you even working supernaturally over the things that were meant to hurt us, that God, just like Joseph, was positioned through those things to actually uh, be uplifted and to be a blessing to others, that, God, you can use the same thing in our lives. And so we offer up these burdens. We ask that this week you would help us to write that list, to process, to release people, to be released, knowing that you have completely forgiven us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.